So it's been called the, the Great Resignation, or the Big Quit. We get record numbers of Americans over the last two years have been quitting their jobs. So a new record in uh, November 2021 is 4.5 million Americans just left their jobs. Then in this year, in March, another 4.5 million Americans just left their jobs. And it's an ongoing phenomenon, an ongoing trend, the great resignation. Uh, A friend recently sent me an article entitled, The Great Resignation Becomes the Great Regret. The research is this, that 26% of people who quit their jobs during this great resignation already regret it. Additionally, 42% of people who found a new job after quitting said the new job did not live up to their expectations. And what happened was, for whatever reason, people were unhappy or willing to quit their jobs. They were chasing after promises of higher pay, uh, advanced titles, uh, better perks. Younger professionals, according to this research, they uh, had a higher uh, expectation of more paid time off, schedule flexibility, more meaningful work, and they were willing to change jobs to do this. Uh, But the research said this, quote, ultimately, employees moving to new roles in new organizations are really looking for what makes them happy, and often the sentiment is that more money equals a happier life. And then the article went on to say you need to be careful because... Uh, quote, for instance, sign-on bonuses seem great, but is it being offered because the organization's culture isn't one that cultivates value and fulfillment in the employees? Like, why are they willing to give you so much money to get you in the door, you know? Uh, What struck me about the article is that there's just so many different motivations for people to work or to get them to stay with a company or organization. So there are some kind of material things or perks in some ways kind of selfish perks like wages or vacation or schedule flexibility, bonus structures, you know, maybe a new title, those kind of things. But there's other motivation that seems deeper than that, things like interest in the work you're actually doing, you know, the culture and the health of the workplace, uh, belief in the mission of the company, uh, satisfaction and accomplishment in, in one's work, and these are other kind of motivators. I want to think about this concept of motivation. Because in our faith, uh, we have this amazing motivation to live into our new identity. As we've learned so far, studying through this letter to the Ephesians, uh, this young church has been taught that that they um, they are no longer separate from God. That because of God and because of what Jesus has done on the cross, they're reconciled to God. That God has brought people by his grace back to himself. He's connected people to one another. He's creating a whole new society with a whole new way of life, and it leads to a whole new way of living. So since, since God has created us as a new society, we adopt new standards. We adopt God's standards for our lives to live. And so today, I guess verse 8 probably puts it clearest. It says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. So we are to be those who live as children of light. But it's not just about trying harder, be better, be more holy, you know, just do, you know, do the right thing. But there's beautiful motivation and incentive and blessing as we live God's way. Not just because there's right and wrong and we should choose right, um, but why? What is the blessing in that? 
I think many people grew up in traditions where they didn't ask why. It was more, this is what we do. You're a Christian, this is how you live. You do this, you don't do this, and that's just the way it is. But there's a beautiful blessing in this. So I want to look at four sort of motivations or four incentives that we see as we live out this way of life, children of light. Let us pray. Father, help us to hear your voice in this time. And Father, help us to respond in faith and obedience to you. Lord, help us to see your way. Help us to see the beauty of your design and your purposes, Lord. Teach us in this time, we ask humbly. But we ask with confidence, knowing your love for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you are following along in this Ephesians series, you'll notice that we're going a little out of order today. Uh, Pastor Dan and I had a little discussion, and we decided to preach this text today, and then the one that precedes it next week. Next week is what we call a family Sunday, where all the kids will be in the service uh, for the whole time. And because we're preaching about uh, sex today as part of this message anyway, it was more appropriate to kind of do that this week and next week. I do like preaching through a book like this because it forces us to hit some of these topics that we might otherwise want to avoid or, or, or kind of dance around a little bit. we got to kind of hit it head on. Um, but of course, Pastor John Ortberg was famous for saying, you know, if you want to draw a crowd to your church, preach about three things. Preach about sex, preach about the end times, and preach about will there be sex in the end times, <laughs> and then people will... Uh, flocked here, church somehow. So, let's jump right in here. So, we think about this way of life that God has called His people to. One of the one of the blessings or motivations of that way of life is purity, to live a pure life. Look at verse three. But among among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these things are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. This is about purity. This is specifically about sexual purity. If you jump back to verse 3, it uses these three terms. It talks about sexual immorality, impurity, or greed. The word greed there is covetousness. And in this context, because of the other words it's with, really he's talking about sex. Meaning, when, even when the Ten Commandments, when God gave the Ten Commandments to his people, he said, do not covet. But specifically, he said, do not covet your neighbor's spouse. You know, that the, the, one of the primary things we can covet is something that isn't ours and in, in the context with those other words. It's really, it's about sexual purity. Um, in Ephesus, first century Ephesus, was a very, in a lot of ways, very kind of sexualized culture. The center point of their city, the thing they were famous for, was this big temple to uh, the goddess Artemis. And there were, uh, she was a fertility goddess, so there were different types of uh, prostitution and sexual practices that went along with the worship of this goddess. And even by today's standards, it was, it was a fairly permissive, say, culture. And of course, uh, you add to that, one of, the, one of the predominant philosophies of the day was what we call Gnosticism. And the Gnostic philosophers, they, had, they were very spiritual people, but they 
they said only spiritual reality is important. Physical reality is, is lesser or lower. So your body, your physical body is not important. Your spirit's important. But what will you do with your body, not so important. So if you have kind of a sexualized culture around this worship of this goddess, and you have a very low view of your body, then it, you know, it doesn't really matter what you do with your body. It's not important. And of course, today, we live in a, in a world that's very sexualized. Um, and so how do we view these things? And the call here for God's people is that we have a very high view of sexuality, what it is and what it is for. Not to have a low view about it. I mean, look at verse 4. You're not to jo- um, There shouldn't be obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking. Those things are out of place. You don't... You don't joke about this. This is actually something that's very beautiful and sacred as we understand God's design for it. And that's where people of faith, we start. What is God's design for human sexuality? There's two main things that God has designed. One is intimacy, that human sexuality allows a man and a woman to have physical intimacy in a profound way, like sort of the highest level of physical intimacy. And the, the second thing is about procreation, that, this, that human sexuality creates human life, creates children. And, but we live in a world, however, that separates sexuality from those two beautiful things that God's designed. They say, no, sex isn't uh, intimate and profound. It's casual. It's, just, it's something you just do as you want. It's not that big of a deal. And in many ways... Sexuality has been separated from pregnancy as if it was some, like two completely separate things in our world. But we, we look at God's design, and when we don't, it can become, as verse 5 says, idolatry. Look at verse 5 again. It says, For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, again, covetous person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. It's this is the key to understanding this, is that when you put these things, human sexuality, before God, it becomes an idol. It's the classic, uh, classic definition of idolatry. So when I talk to people and they, they say, oh, I, I know your church has more you know, traditional views about sexuality and marriage. I don't, even, I don't want anything to do with that. Because more than their view of God, it's, it's sexuality is the number one thing and everything else flows from that. But for us, we say, no, God is number one, and everything else, including my sexuality, flows from God. This is how our ethic works, that we believe that God is creator, that I am not my own, that God created me, created us to be sexual beings. That's part of God's good creation and his good design. And uh, however, we have... um, we, we, have, we are broken by sin. Therefore, my desires, which feel very natural to me, may be out of line with God's good design, God's beautiful design, because he created it. So guess what? It's good, and it's beautiful, and it can be pleasing and fulfilling. But not every urge I have is in line with God's design. For any of us, whether it's uh, urges that uh, fall beyond in, in many different ways. So, again... In verse 5 here, we see that there's a difference between instant gratification, just doing what you know, pleases me, and this inheritance. There's this, there's this future inheritance 
But the whole notion that, you know, when we think about sexuality, it's, you know, it's my body, then I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want, as much as I want, with whoever I want, whatever feels good. You know, that's, how is that healthy in any aspect of life? We don't treat any aspects of our lives that way. And yet, there's this ethic around sexuality that's just whatever you want goes. We don't eat that way. We don't exercise that way. We don't raise children. Just do whatever you want, whenever you want, whatever feels right to you. Because sometimes our feelings are not healthy for us. Uh, I do want to be careful, however, though, verse 5, it says, you know, none of, no one who is, um, these, when it becomes this idolatry, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ or God, that there's a big difference between falling short in these areas uh, through your weakness and seeking God for healing and seeking God for restoration than just giving yourself over completely to it. And there's a big, we would make a big distinction between somebody who falls short of God's standard, which is everybody, because we all experience brokenness in different ways. Um, but somebody who says, nope, I'm doing it my way, not God's way. And when you, when you cross that line, that does become idolatry, and it does separate you from God. Uh, verses 6 and 7, you know, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Again, there's these philosophers, perhaps the Gnostics there, you know, don't listen to these empty words. Um, because when we go against God's design, God's, it, God's wrath is towards that. Uh, but with purity, we can be pure and experience God's blessing in these things. Jesus said, blessed are the pure heart. For they will see God. When we live a life of purity, we experience more and more of God. When we, when we experience God's, what we call sanctification, God's ongoing work of healing the broken parts of our lives, including our sexuality, we, we experience more of God. He's making us more like himself. So the application for us in this is that we might need to adopt a new posture towards sexuality. Starting not with my, just my desires, but with God's design and things that go against God's design, whether it's promiscuity or homosexual behavior or covetousness through pornography or through other distortions of God's good design for sexuality, that we can seek healing and wholeness. It may take prayer. It may take counseling. But we seek to align ourselves with God's design and God's goodness, and we can live, we can experience purity through that. That's God's design. That's a great motivation to live a pure life. The second thing, the second motivation that we see in the text here is fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. Look at verse 8. It says, For once you were, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. This is a huge issue for every human being, that we want to live fruitful and productive lives. At the end of the day, whatever work you've done, whatever you've sought to accomplish, you want to know that you're not living for something hollow or shallow or fake, but that you're living for things that are important and good and fruitful. I think that's part of this great resignation and people quitting their jobs, whether it's the, whether it was the pandemic or whether the political turmoil or whatever's going on in our world. People said, look, you know, I don't, time is short. 
I don't want to waste my time at a job that's unfulfilling and a culture that's unhealthy with a boss that is, you know, mistreating me. I'm out. And people are just willing to just quit because we want to live fruitful lives. And we see here in verse 9, the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. You can live this life and experience that. Uh, and it's not just for you. It also is a blessing to the world because it, it, the light shows what isn't true and what is dark. Verse 11, have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Darkness hides ugly realities, um, but light, you know, light exposes it so that we can see what is true and what is good. And it's part of living as a light that, is, that it can see what is, what is right and what is good before me. Verse 14, we're alert in that. Wake up. This is why it said, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. There's this inclination that we become sleepy in a spiritual sense. And this is for every, every follower of Jesus. And there was probably times in your faith where you were really on fire. You're really excited because you're part of a, a, maybe you just came to faith or you're part of a great group or you went on a retreat and had some wonderful experience and you're so on fire. But there's those times where we could just sort of lose sight and get kind of dozing off in a spiritual sense. I uh, read a, an article the a plane, Ethiopian Airlines this week, they uh, overshot the runway uh, of their destination because the pilots fell asleep. They were at 37,000 feet, so there was no uh, imminent danger, but they, so these two, the pilot falls asleep, co-pilot falls asleep, autopilot, 37,000 feet, they're just cruising right by their destination. Uh, they lost contact with uh, traffic control, lost contact with them, they finally sounded an alarm, woke them up, they circled around 25 minutes late, safely landed the plane. They are no longer employed as active pilots in Ethiopian Airlines or any airline, I hope. But um, the definition of sleep means you don't know you're asleep. So if you're lying there and you think to yourself, oh, I'm asleep right now, you're actually not asleep. You're conscious. You know what I mean? You just you fall into it. You don't even realize it. And as a spiritual condition, this is very dangerous because you, if you're asleep, you may not even be aware of it. I think for us, if we want to live as children of life and live this, I'm sorry, children of light and live an alert life, uh, we want to shine that light wherever we're going to do the little things that keep us alert. The most basic things of our faith we can lose touch with. Things like prayer, very basic part of our spiritual life, but it keeps us alert to God. And yet we can kind of fall into patterns of not praying reading the Bible, God's word, helps us to be alert and awake, and yet we can sort of get away from those rhythms that were really helpful to us at one time. The fellowship of God's people, whether it's a small group or some other fellowship, it helps us to talk to other people and stay alert to what God is doing and not to get sleepy. Just to worship regularly at church. We can get away from these very simple, basic habits, but they all keep us awake and alert that we could live as children of light, fruitful lives, so we can live with purity, we can live with fruitfulness. Thirdly, we can live with God's wisdom. That's another great motivator, another great blessing of, of walking this way. Verse 15, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, 
because the days are evil. Verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Um, as we walk as children of light, we gain God's wisdom for navigating a very broken world. The characteristics of people who experience God's wisdom, uh, verse 16, they make the most of their time. They're making the most of every opportunity. None of us can squeeze any more time out of the day, not one minute out of the day, than anyone else. We all have the same amount of time. It's just about how do I use my time with the wisdom of God. You only get one, we only get one spin on this globe, and that's the life we get, and we don't know how much time we have. We want to make the most of it. I was, I was in a conversation with somebody last week who was fascinated with the idea of reincarnation. And sort of a kind of a uh, Hindu idea, but the way this person was approaching it wasn't exactly Hinduism, but very similar. That you know you get, you don't just get this one chance. You you get another. You get other chances, and there's reincarnation in another life. I can see how that's really appealing, because then you don't have to really get it right. You don't really have to work too hard at it. You could kind of mess up and just kind of fix it next time. I'll get to it eventually. For those of us who tend to procrastinate. I love the idea of reincarnation. Like, yeah, let's, we'll get to that on my next life. Uh, but we know we only get, this, it's destined for us to die once, Scripture says. So wise people make the most of their time. And, all, and, and also in verse 17, wise people know God's will. In Jesus, when, when he lived on this earth, he prayed, Father, not my will, but yours be done. He taught his followers to pray, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to see God's way extend into a world that is, in many ways, evil. There's plenty of things to get distracted and dragged into. We live in a world with a ton of information, but wisdom is is short to come by. And here we have access to the very wisdom of God. And there's people who even come to faith because they understand God's wisdom is true. There's a pastor I know of who, he tells the congregation, a lot of people come to church, they're not, they may not be believers, but they're kind of exploring faith. He said, just go out and pretend to be a Christian. Just try to live by God's wisdom this week and see what happens. And he said, I challenge you, if you start to live with God's wisdom, you're going to see the blessing in that. And people actually come to faith through that. They say, actually, God's way is better. And they, they end up kind of this backwards way of coming to faith, but... Um, it's, God's wisdom is powerful. So we can experience purity, fruitful living, wise living, and lastly, fullness. As we walk as children of life, we can experience, I'm sorry, as we walk as children of light, we can experience the fullness of God's Holy Spirit. Look at verse 18. Let me just read these verses again. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music in your hearts to to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a passage about being under the influence. He said you can be under the influence of alcohol, which leads to can lead to bad things. Or you can be under the influence of the Holy Spirit, but there's a parallel there. And it's not the first place in Scripture where we see a parallel between being filled with the Spirit and being filled with alcohol. The, the church, the Christians, when they first received the Holy Spirit, as Jesus promised, on the day of Pentecost, they were, the people were making fun of them. They said they've had too much to drink. 
Then the apostle Peter stands up. He said, it's nine o'clock in the morning. These men have not had too much to drink. This is a fulfillment of what the prophet Joel said, where God's spirit would be poured out powerfully and there would be prophecy and, and they were prophesying in different languages and it was just this beautiful thing, but they, they were making fun. Now, this looks like you're drunk. But there is you know, a number of parallels between you know, being filled with alcohol and being filled with God's spirit. Um, let me give you a few. One is uh, drunk people, many of them, tend to get happy when they drink. Not all. But the Holy Spirit brings deep joy. At least temporarily you might be happy with alcohol, but the Holy Spirit brings, uh, as a fruit of what the Spirit does in us, brings us joy even in the midst of difficult situations. Abiding joy because of God's presence. Drunk people, they think they're really smart. We call them the uh, barroom philosopher. So people begin to be filled with alcohol and they, have all, they think they have all this, but we have the Spirit of God to give us true wisdom, God's wisdom and discernment for our lives. Being drunk makes you bold. I've heard this referred to as beer muscles. Uh, you get all tough. You know, you're the tough guy. You're the tough girl now. You've had a few drinks and you decide to confront people and solve problems in your family uh, as you have experienced this. But with the Holy Spirit, we have a, a true boldness to be able to overcome things that we otherwise couldn't, to, to be able to do things you never thought possible in your life. Some people drink to drown their pain. The philosopher Garth Brooks once said, I've got friends in low places where the whiskey drowns and the beer chases my blues away. And I'll be okay. We have the Holy Spirit as a true counselor and a true comforter to hold us even in the darkest valley. Whatever pain we experience, we have the Holy Spirit reminding us that God is with us every step and that God is good. People get drunk for companionship. The other philosopher, Billy Joel, he said they're sharing a drink they call loneliness, but it's better than drinking alone. We have the fellowship of God's Holy Spirit. And we've looked already in chapter 4 of Ephesians that we, that we have what's called the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, that we can be truly united to other people through God's Spirit. Drunk people sing. There's only two places on earth that you're going to find people who don't know each other that well, who are untrained singers, who are happily joining together in song. It's going to happen at the bar when you're drinking, and it happens at church. You people singing out loud, untrained, many of you, I can tell, and you're happily singing songs together with people that you may not know that well, and you might see that at a bar, on a karaoke night, or on with the jukebox blaring. Um, and here, we see in verse 19, to speak to one another with psalms, with hymns, with spiritual songs, sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord, that we experience the Holy Spirit with such joy that we just want to sing the praises of God, and to be people who lift voices together, making a joyful noise together to the Lord. The, re the result of being filled with God's spirit is seen in, in this kind of relationship to each other. 
And it's so much deeper than just, um, you know, a temporary inebriation, which you may regret the next day, but in an abiding fellowship that we share. And it's this gratitude, verse 20, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. So our application here is simple. It's to be filled with God's Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Uh, God desires to give us this Holy Spirit. How do we get it? We just ask for it. He loves to give it to those who ask. Um, if you want to learn more about the Holy Spirit, something like the Alpha Course is a great place to learn about the Holy Spirit. That's starting in September. But even if you want to pray with somebody, we invite people every service to come forward if you want to pray with somebody. You don't have to have some big life problem to ask for prayer. You could come forward and say, I just want to be prayed to experience God's Holy Spirit. I want more of God's Spirit to fill me. Just pray that. Our prayer partners would be happy. They would be filled with joy. It's just... There's all these beautiful blessings, all, these, all this wonderful motivation to, to live God's way, by God's design, as children of life, children of light. The greatest motivation for us is that God has saved us. He's rescued us from a sinful world. But there's so many blessings to live as his child, to experience purity to live a fruitful life, to live in God's wisdom, to be full of God's Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Father, I pray that we would take this and be motivated to leave here and live life your way. Lord, for areas where we struggle, where our desires are not in line with your desire, Lord, where we've fallen short, we just pray that we would turn to you again. Receive your grace and forgiveness, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Empower us to live as children of light, in this dark world. Be glorified in this, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.